to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Cole and Scott. Today's guest, nobody. There's a good way to do it. Uh, there's a way where uh, you have, I don't know, five presenters and each one goes up to the podium and delivers their presentation and it's boring as shit, right? It's just like, here's my research. Here's what I did. I'm going to go sit back on my quote unquote panel. And then there's another one where it's like, we're actually going to discuss things and we're going to, you know, give our perspectives on a, on a topic. And, you know, my perspective is different from yours and like, here's my experience and da, 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 da. Uh, and there's also like another version where people just field questions from the crowd and that can be, <laughs> oh, it, it's so defeating to see people just walk out the door while you're in a massive event room and they're just streaming out. And you're like, oh shit, I guess I gave horrific yeah, there answers. Is no, there is no shame in those moments. <laughs> I've been the walker out and I've been the person at the panel seeing people walk out, so. Bye. Yeah. Don't the door hit you. <laughs> or, yeah, anyway. Um, well, are you ready to get this thing started? Let's go. All right. Welcome to Directionally Correct, a People Annex podcast with Cole Napper and Scott Hines. Scott, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. It's like a perfect Seattle day. It rained super hard this morning. Now it's bright and sunny. I, I you know, I'm on my way in. Uh, I saw a, a film crew, right? They're like in, in the parking lot. They have a big green screen, like all the tech people all around. And, uh, you know, it's like it's super curious. And like, I don't know, it's kind of magical to me to see this sort of thing. And I asked the security guard, you know, what's going on? Like, what, what are they doing? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't know? Like, you just sitting here just like watching all this stuff. You don't ask questions. Uh, I was, there's a perfect answer for like, not getting a satisfying response uh what about you man how, how are you doing yeah that's the level of satisfaction of the typical hourly <laughs> worker like i don't care i'm just here i'm just passing the time but yeah, uh yeah, yeah. yeah man uh things are going good um up i'm actually on vacation right now but the podcast must go on Ooh. so there you go um but i'm actually sitting in some relatives basement up in new jersey so new <clears> jersey stuff yeah man you're gonna make your way yeah. to the city yeah i'm gonna go see uh i'm actually pretty excited uh gonna go see a comedy show this weekend at the vaunted comedy cellar so that's pretty cool oh that is super cool that's super yeah. cool i hear it's like a really small space yeah it's uh, supposedly it's small and you, obviously a lot of famous comedians drop in all the time and so i'm a pretty big fan of comedy if you can't tell from my amazing jokes that i tell all the time <laughs> uh but uh do, yeah do you know who you're seeing or is it just gonna be like a random sort of open mic no thing? it's a it's that's kind of the thing you don't know what you're getting when you go there it's just they i think each comedian probably does 10 or 15 minutes and you just stay for a few hours and it should be a lot of fun maybe you uh, kick off your uh stand-up career here this is where it all begins that is what i won't be doing but <laughs> anyway what, what are we talking about today man uh we got a couple of things planned like but well, i think this is a great segue uh like how do you like we, we've talked so much about uh, you know the future of work and replication crisis and we talked about uh, uh return to office stuff but i don't think we've really given our perspectives on like who we are and uh you know how we approach io slash people analytics so I, I think this is a great segue to ask you like 
how do you relax? How do you get away from the job? You know, there's people like Rob Cross who've done a bunch of research on uh, effective work process practices of like high performing folks. And they'll say things like one of the elements is they know how to disconnect. They have a group of friends outside of the office that they can just kind of put everything behind. But how does cold napper get away from things? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to read that article because it's probably going to I'm going to prove all the <laughs> reasons why I'm not a high performer or something like that. But uh, I mean, just like any human being in 2022, I definitely do some binge watching, especially with with my kids. Uh, also, just, you know, playing with my kids and stuff like that. Uh, I think probably my biggest Rob Crossian thing to do is probably just golf. I, golf. I a of, yes, big golfer. Um, have a lot of friends that have no idea what people analytics and IO psychology is on the <laughs> golf course, which is, I guess, kind of nice and refreshing sometimes. But I also, also really like the people analytics community and geeking out with, you know, not just people at work, but also, I mean, I think I've talked about this before. I lead the DFW people analytics meetup. And I just, I really like that, you know, the community that's built, not just locally, but, but nationally as well. Also listen to a lot of podcasts and, and read books not a big fiction fan. And I honestly, probably two thirds of the books that I read are people analytics related, you know, so <laughs> yeah. I, keep it, I keep it pretty close to home. I think that's pretty common for like, yeah. uh, people, people like really into it. Obviously they got a lot of irons in the fire and, uh, read and consume a lot of content around like people analytics. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to get back to your golf game though. Like I, I did <laughs> not know this about you. I did not, know, I, I want, I want to be a golf guy. I just don't have the patience for it. Like after like three holes, I would be like trying to jump the sand traps with a golf cart or something. Yeah, you're you're, good. You're the kind of person that I hate. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like I just the people that are out there that are just messing up the course. I think I like golf. I I don't know how much you want to get into this, but I like it on a lot of levels. Uh, On the first level is just, especially if you live in a city. It's really nice to see the beauty of nature and golf courses are always like pristinely kept up and it's just a beautiful place to be, especially to get away from like your cell phone and, and like social yeah. media and stuff for a few hours. It is excellent. Um, I would say the next level is it's it's a sport that you can do for the rest of your life, um, which I really appreciate because, you know, I'm you know a younger man now, but I'll be 80 years old someday. You can still play golf then. And, join that, and then the, join that senior <clears throat> tour. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing about it is it's extremely competitive in a way that I hadn't remembered. Like it, it takes me all the way back to like high school and playing like high school sports and stuff is you can get really competitive. And there's even like people who gamble in rounds and stuff like that. And I've been known to gamble on occasion. Um, and it's it's just a lot of fun uh, to get out there and really challenge yourself. Uh, the way I put it to, to people is like, why why do so many executives play golf? Mm-hmm. I think it's because it it shows it does two things. It quenches that competitive thirst, but it also mimics real life in the sense that in golf, you can hit a bad a bad shot and have a great outcome and you can hit an awesome shot and have a bad <laughs> outcome because life is fundamentally unfair and un, you know unlucky <laughs> at times. And it's just that's how it is, you know, and I think there's there's a lot of um, existential truth in in the game of golf. It's also like a fantastic networking opportunity. Like I, I get invited probably about like once a year to go golfing, and like I, I would love to be part of that club, as as it were, uh, a little yeah. fun there. 
but that's actually I, I do it for the opposite reason. <laughs> like I think you, a lot. You of, want to like, get away and disconnect, be alone. Yeah. In your own head. And I find when when I do play with people and you can tell that they're like overtly trying to be out there for the networking aspect, I'm like, yeah, never playing with you again. Just because I want I want to go out oh, there and yeah. be depressed, you know. Well, you do the same thing at like PSYOP to bring back like people analytics. Like there's people out there that are just there to like glad hand, shake hands. Here's my business card. I want your business card. What can you do for me? And that like lack of, I don't know, authenticity to use probably like an overused word uh, is it's very self-evident and yeah. repulsive, very repulsive. Well, that too is like, um, I came across this book uh, not that long ago called The Go-Giver. And Go -Giver. I would put this into the third of, of non-people analytics books I read, but it's basically, it talks about, um, it's like, it's, it's kind of like the whole premise. You remember that movie, Pay It Forward, a while ago? Like, uh, you do something. Haley <clears throat> Joel Osment, something like that? Yeah, yeah. But basically, do, do like unrequested nice things for other people, and it just kind of makes the world a better place. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of try to take that notion to networking. It's like, I don't want to talk about like what you can do for me. I want to talk about what I can do for you. You know, is this, I think uh, that makes it much more productive. Is this uh, the go-giver, a little story about powerful business ideas? Yes, it's it's pretty good. And it's like one of those really short books that has like big font. It's like a children's book almost. <laughs> it's like 50 pages long. But yeah, feel like a, it's a good one. like a genius if you read it. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stick that in the show notes just to uh, give people a heads up on what that is. Well, well, not talking about me. What about you? How do you, how do you relax, Scott? Yeah, like there for a long time, I was really, really into uh, photography, like street photography. I've, I've really kind of fallen off of that. Uh, I, I want to get back into it. Just inspiration hasn't struck in a long way, long, long time, rather. Um, you know, like you mentioned, like I, I binge watch TV shows uh, largely into it's embarrassing, but like Rick Steves, Rick Steves travel shows and uh, Star Trek. Those are my two go to's. I watch. Who is Rick Steves? I've sincerely never heard this name before. Rick Steves, he's, he's on PBS. He's, he's actually a Seattle guy, and uh, he just travels Europe and, like, provides very kind of uh, uh, stage travel uh, etiquette, travel advice for all the sites. And it, it's fantastic because, like, you can tell, like, when the when a city is good, like, he's out and about, and, like, here, here's a, I don't know, an ancient clock, and here's a... Uh, here's where everyone meets in this town square. And like when the city just is absolute shit and sucks and you should never go there. It's like, we spend half the episode in a cathedral and the other time is in a museum looking at this. Yeah. Painting well, he's like, it's like an Anthony artist. Bourdain without food basically. Right. He has, he has no edge. Like Anthony Bourdain has edge. This guy has yeah. no edge. You know what I mean? Um, what? And I don't know if you mind me mentioning this, but you're one of the few people I know who travels alone. So I, I can see how that's right up your alley. Just going to some random place where you don't know anybody. And I mean, that's I've always admired that about you. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yes. Yeah, and I particularly like it when uh, it's on the company dime. That That's that's the goal. <laughs> somehow get the, <laughs> the company yeah. to pay for it. Uh, I'm still trying to work out a few different locations. I'm trying to get uh, amazon to open up an office in specific uh maybe phuket maybe i need a little i need to do some io work there just need that's the, is that the way you pronounce that word i always heard it pronounced a different way 
we, we won't go there, but uh, yeah, I mean, they got like uh, any sort of beach sort of Amazon office would yeah. be welcome for travel yeah. purposes, for sure. Well, imagine um, with you being up in Seattle where it's rainy and cloudy all the time, you could probably stand to be at the beach a little bit. Oh, man. So, yeah, I, I think the perfect way to handle Seattle that, that I'm seeing, I've been up here about two years now, and I think the way to do it is uh, get all your travel in. During, and I'm not saying that I adhere to this, but I want to. I want to aspire to this. Get all your travel in in like November to uh, February. You know, go go to Hawaii. Go to wh- wherever you're gonna go. A, a, a beachy sort of place is definitely needed. And then it's also a little known secret that Seattle summers are freaking fantastic. Like every day, it is the best spring day you could imagine in Texas or Louisiana. It's 70 degrees, not as cloud in the sky. There's people out everywhere just you, you see them they, they come out of the buildings and they just like they uh you know like jesus on a cross they just sit there and just like soak up the sun just like can't believe uh, how deficient of vitamin d they are <laughs> well you, you should work for seattle the tourism department man yeah that was a that was a great description come to seattle leave in october and don't return until uh probably june june and see that fish market or whatever they talk about. I don't know. I don't live too far from it. And I, I go there probably about once a week. It's a bit overpriced, but it is definitely like a really cool place to go. Definitely a really cool place to go. The waterfront. Uh, you can go see seals in the bay. And, uh, you know, then unfortunately, there's a lot of hills here, but it makes for great topography. Uh, it's a yeah. really cool city. Really cool city. Absolutely. Well, for our listeners, if you're waiting for a guest to show up, there is none today. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Scott and I just kind of wanted to catch up and and frankly, to let you guys get to know us a little bit on a human level. um, Another thing that, you know, we wanted to talk about today was we had gotten some feedback. I think I mentioned it last week with Al about, you know, what we can do is kind of be the individuals who can sort of rage against the machine and as much as i love to rage against the machine when you start a podcast like this and get the reach that we're starting to get you actually started to kind of become the machine (laughs) so we're raging against ourselves in a way um but i I think it's really important for us to maybe talk a little bit about maybe not just like what are we raging against but what are we for you know like what why why do this podcast what are we for how are we helping out the community and and what's important to us and I, I, I kind of encounter this on a pretty much a daily basis. It, it's really easy to kind of like tear down other ideas and, you know, be really negative and poke holes and things. But ab- advocating for specific things is more powerful, really, to say, like, these are the pillars that I stand on. Uh, I, I got three in my back pocket. Do, do you have any coal, like, planned? No, I'll let you go first. What What are your What are your You 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 would trade off, or you would trade off? Yeah, let's do one after another. How does that work? Maybe we can build off each other. So, like first and foremost, I don't know if these are any particular order, but uh, so I I won't say first and foremost. I will say like in no particular order, rather. Uh, Curiosity is king. Curiosity is king. You need to have a thirst for knowledge unlike unlike our film crew security guard that had no idea no no desire <laughs> to know uh he didn't have a questions about what the heck's going on I, I 
people analytics is fascinating and pe people in general are fascinating because there's so many unanswered questions and like if you are running analysis and someone might say like well why are you doing that that's that's uh you know whatever the question the, the answer is like because we don't know and we can find fascinating things in all different aspects uh so like i, I that's where it all starts the curiosity for people curiosity for the answer and just curiosity in general it, it's a motivating factor too so if i were hiring somebody i mean they could be the smartest person on earth but i would rather have someone that will run through a fucking brick wall and you know just drill down to get answers you mean a Phuket brick wall? Phuket. Uh, Phuket. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, that's, yeah. I mean, I want to build on this too, because like where, where do you think that curiosity or that passion comes from? Because this is actually my, my third one as well, and I'll get into it in a second, oh. but I'm, I'm curious, where, where does yours come from? Where does my curiosity come from? Um, I, I find myself like really drawn to uh, solving problems and it, it really, this is kind of my second point really, uh, but nothing, ha I'll, just, I'll just segue into this, nothing happens in isolation. Like the, the, this idea of like say a, a lone inventor that comes up with ideas and like goes on with the process it just doesn't happen if you if you read uh say like james burke or you know no he talks about it quite a bit is michael arena in his book adaptive space uh the the idea of like steve jobs or uh thomas edison they were not just divined with information they met with people all over the place and they gathered information and they came up with these ideas and then once you have your ideas uh you need someone there to help you refine them to because like we're all full of biases we're all full of like our own ideas which may not be great etc and then say you do come up with a great product well that that's freaking fantastic you need someone else to actually scale it up and get it out the door so other people use it otherwise what's her name amabile you know creativity it needs to be uh novel yeah it yeah. needs to be novel and useful well that's great that it's useful but other people need to use it for it actually to mean anything otherwise you're just sitting here with your thumb up your keister yeah that makes a lot of sense you know when i was thinking about mine the the, the third one that i put on there is i really like this space and kind of what i'm about is just about pursuing my passion that's why i asked you like why why does it motivate you because i, I think about it in terms of people analytics there's there's so much there there in terms of like if you think about it from like a career perspective i've mm -hmm. gone broader higher and deeper into people analytics and why why does that matter to me is because I, I learned this from a previous boss but i love this concept of if you're kind of a trailblazer in something which i feel like i was in this space getting into it pretty early is you have to be a person who's kind of betting on yourself right there, right. there is no guarantee outcome there's no guarantees for success and i think what i've even done more recently is being willing to experiment kind of using people analytics techniques on my own career that you know kind of being mm. the first month got into space so i would say like my most recent foray into kind of the startup world is very much been in that vein of hey i i believe really strongly that people analytics can change things for the entire hr function what if i just tried to do that from the inside or from the outside rather than the inside 
And, and I think that's really important in terms of kind of being what, what I stand for is like, okay, I can go higher into this space. I've gone broad. I've done every, pretty much every kind of people analytics project under the sun and going really deep. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember at one point, I'm probably a little dusty now, but like I went really deep into things like machine learning and stuff like that and building my own models. And that was a lot of fun. And so I just really think that people analytics quenches a lot of thirst in my world. Yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of realms. And that's the great thing about IO too, or people analytics, <clears throat> excuse me. There, there's lots of realms to explore. And I'm, I'm going to brag on you for a moment. Like you showed me, uh, it's probably five years ago at this point, uh, you had a uh, essentially a scorecard for, I think it was like buying a house or something like that. Oh, like, God, I'll, now you're going to embarrass me. Oh, <laughs> well, no, it's no embarrassment because uh, I was like, look at this, like, well, I mean, this is exactly how you would do, I don't know, like, like a job analysis or something like, here's the important factors, here's how I rate it, and let's come to, say, a, uh, a semi-optimal, you know, for, for me, personally optimal solution that uh, is going to weigh all these factors and provide a best answer. In fact, I used this recently when I purchased my own house. Uh, here in Seattle, very few places have uh, covered parking which is a freaking shame because it rains all the time and very few places have air conditioning uh those are two key components for me they they went to the list you know and I, I weighed them accordingly and like came out with what i think is a really good option for me you know um i'm actually kind of glad you brought this up i, was, I thought i was going to be embarrassed by what you were saying but did you ever come across the kahneman's work on thinking fast and slow system one and system two thinking uh yeah, Kahneman Traversky. Yeah, Kahneman Traversky. But it was Daniel Kahneman who wrote that book, uh, where he mm. kind of popularized it. Uh, but that was like prospect theory was Kahneman Traversky that where they won the uh, Nobel Prize for economics. But uh, he talks about like system one thing is kind of like your heuristic based quick thinking where you're not really thinking, and then yeah. system two is very cognitively taxing, but it's what you theoretically should be doing if you're making kind of higher level decisions and. I knew knew myself and I always really struggled in kind of what I would call decisions that were multivariate in making a good decision because like my gut just wants to scream at me and say, Cole, just, you know, do the thing that your heart, you know, wants yeah. you to do. And so I, I would this was my kind of system two thinking way of overriding that if you're making a huge life decision, you should probably put a little bit more thought into it. And so, you know, using the toolkit of people analytics has really helped me even in my personal life. So I had even forgotten that I mentioned that to you. So that's cool. Thanks for bringing that up. No, I think it's a brilliant application. And like, I wonder what other things, you know, you could apply to your personal life because like we know all these sort of things. We, we brought it up in the past. Like some mechanical judgment is, is superior than your sort of uh, 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 subjective sort of knee-jerk reaction like we all want the flashy thing or like perhaps overweight it in the moment uh like say like interviewing a candidate or you know uh even running like focus groups I, boy i could go off on a different sort of tangent there I, i'll try yeah, I not, not to go on a tangent too <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we'll talk about qualitative analyses in a different let's, let's put that as a topic for another podcast so we can really build on that i would love to i mean i i think that no, not going too deep. I, I think it's a really like underserved part of IO. I think we've gone really deep into like ML and sort of dust bowl empiricism, like letting the quantitative data decide things. And we've gone away from qualitative context and 
a theory building, really. But anyway, anyway, I don't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> Applying IO to uh, uh, our daily lives. Well, maybe we pivot. What's your what's your second thing that you stand for? How about that? Well, the second thing would actually be that uh, nothing happens in isolation. Uh, but the, the the third thing I have would be, you know, I I think that we as uh, people on Lakes folks uh, need to value speed of decisions. Therefore, like eighty percent of an answer is typically good enough. Uh, because like w- once you actually acquire the data, once you get that data, uh, the it's already old. You know, it takes two weeks to collect, say, survey data. It takes a little while to analyze it. You give it to a leader of some sort. They got to make a decision. Here it could be a month out. And like on top of that, a, a perfect measure will never, never exist. Never exist. Well, let me let me kind of build on this one, too, then, because. Uh... One of mine is, it's not necessarily the converse of this, but it's definitely related to this because I think it was in one of the articles I wrote about the speed to value quotient um, is really important, but it's not necessarily about speed. What it is about, and this is kind of one of the things that I I stand for, is making an impact. It's really difficult to make an impact if the decision that that should have been influenced by the data was like two months ago and you're just Mm -hmm. presenting your results, right? So speed is of a currency just to make an impact. And in addition to this, it's about being a differentiator, right? Because people analytics that's just, let's call it insightful, isn't much of a differentiator. Because you know, nowadays with um, you know, the robustness of our technology and the the you know wellspring of data that's just everywhere and you know you can't you can't go anywhere yeah. in a business analysis department without tripping over another Tableau dashboard or something like that. Um, insights are abound. What's missing is impact, context, and differentiation. What are we going to do with this that's actually going to make a difference? And that's really, really, really what I'm about and what I stand for. Yeah, like I didn't mean to uh, insinuate that uh, you generate insights without impact. There's definitely a level of prioritization that occurs. It, my, my my bone to pick is really with uh, something like it, it's psyop. I get driven nuts by people that'll be like, "Oh, well, you didn't use this correction for this analysis, therefore it's all fucking trash. It, it's all just garbage." Which I don't know. Like if it's not going to pass a generic chi-square, it's not going to pass your crazy analysis either. And there's still value in that analysis or for other people to build on top of it. Uh, This is like this. And and the measures are imperfect, too. People are terrible at answering surveys. People are freaking they don't they can't tell you what they want for dinner, much less like how engaged they are for the day uh, or the the year. You get these yearly surveys. Uh, I mean, this is the whole idea of like Spearman's G, like you have all these measures and uh, you get there's a core of truth in there, but there's a lot of error as well. Uh, And, you know, we want to reduce as much error as possible, but it is present. It is present. Well, I think I think you and I actually talked about this offline at one point, but where we were kind of, again, raging against the machine. But. The point that, uh, that I came across earlier in my career is uh, I heard somebody who I find very influential said this. Uh, if you can't replicate your complex finding with a simple table of averages, it's probably not a real finding. Right. 
and which to that point about the person at, at a conference who's saying, well, you didn't do the XYZ correction. That's, you know, super arcane and esoteric. Well, guess what? If the data didn't show up in a table of averages, it probably didn't matter if that correction was made or not. Right. And so I, I just I get it incredibly practical when it comes to people analytics. Yeah. And the reason why that practicality exists goes back to the thing about making an impact and being a differentiator. Right. How do if you, you can. Sure. What, what's your question? Oh, so sort of like how do you how do you decide the prioritization? Like obviously impact is kind of like an outcome. Right. But trying to filter all the great ideas that people have and like all the great analyses we could do. How, how does that process work for you? You know, that's interesting. I don't think anybody's ever asked me this question out loud. And so I'm going to think, I think I'm going to share something out loud that I've only thought about inside my head, which is I always oh. create a model of organizational success in my head. Meaning like, oh, what like, is what it about mean, yeah. the company? Yeah. Like, what is it about the, co like, how to, like, to put it very simply, like, in simple terms, it's like, how do we make money? How are we different? Right. You know, what is it about us that <laughs> that we have any right to even exist? Like, why should anybody purchase our product or whatever it is that we're doing? Right. And then I create, OK, like, what's the model of our business that gets to efficiency? And then I look at our people analytics and I say, OK, of the potential projects that we have, what are most closely aligned to that going to help our model of business for success and mm -hmm. what are least aligned? And then I just prioritize the ones that are most aligned. I, and again, I don't bat a thousand because I think we've talked about that before, but I'm pretty close to it because as long as I truly and am, am embedded in the organization and understand the organization at its core, I can be pretty good at prioritizing the things that matter the most. And I, I think that context is super important for, for this discussion too. Uh, tech companies, they, they want to be innovative, they want to be fast, et cetera, et cetera. So that they tend to be more willing to fail quickly therefore you need answers uh rapidly so change can happen in a, at a quick pace if you're at a um oh i don't know like a, a governmental organization perhaps an insurance company etc you need to be more exact you need to you have the time as well because everything happens at a much slower pace well and let me let me riff on this too because like take the tech company versus like governmental organization as like a dichotomy for a second most tech companies aren't actually tech companies they're usually sales companies right oh, yeah. and so a lot of people don't even realize that again kind of creating the organizational model in my mind when i'm realizing you go into a company you're like oh we're actually just a sales company so how can we enable sales and tech is maybe taking a back seat on the other side of the spectrum like the governmental body well you know it may actually not be the differentiator there it is like the governmental process or policy it's usually things like, you know, is it making an impact on the community, right? And again, I never worked for a governmental body, but I imagine most of the people that work there are motivated by the ability of the workers to do, you know, successful things for the communities in which they operate, whether it be state, municipal, federal, or whatever. Could could you work in a governmental organization? Like uh, knowing, what, knowing I, what you know, knowing what you know about how they operate, and uh... they're they're a little slow for me. Uh, just yeah. just from what I've heard, um, I, I like to move it a little bit faster clip, but I do think, you know, a lot of the people that are working there are doing, you know, really great work. And, and frankly, some of the most innovative minds in our field are working at governmental bodies. And so I, I wouldn't throw aspersions at any of those people. No, no, I didn't mean to do that either. I mean, th there are certain industries that uh, I, I think draw people for different reasons. And like, 
for the IO community, like government work is that that's where a bunch of the funding occurs. So, I mean, you can do some like really, really great work, particularly in like the, the selection and development space, which uh, yeah, we I don't should really get, we should get somebody on from the federal government. Uh, I think that could be an interesting angle because I, I know very little about that. And I mean, other than, you know, the people I've talked to, but like the inner workings of doing people analytics and IO at the highest levels of government could be quite interesting. Let's get someone to set us straight, man, because everything I know is like hearsay. It's like here, you know, here's what someone told me about governmental work, uh, et cetera. But uh, I think that's a fantastic idea. Well, let's pivot on. What, what's what's your last uh, thing that you're about, Scott? I am. I, I'm about nothing else. I am about <laughs> networks are king. Uh, curiosity is king. 80 percent slash speed is good enough um but what, what about you what about you Cole? what's what's your last uh tenant yeah i think the last one is i'll, I'll call it simply following in um a, like following the truth like trying to find the truth in the data as okay. opposed to things like opinions and conjecture like i feel like the whole reason why people analytics became a thing was because historically the management of people had been a purely opinions-based enterprise mm -hmm. right and the natural corrective to that was data um, and this actually leads into the other one about impact and um, in the order i had it would be impact it would be about pursuing truth and then it would be about um uh, about you know pursuing my passion in this space yeah. but i think the truth is is really important and, and the thing about it is it's actually oftentimes like I, i'll encounter executives and they'll be like well, that's not even knowable. And my <laughs> counter to that is always like, oh, oftentimes it absolutely is knowable. And and I will go out and find it for you if you'll give me the time and resources to do so. And so that's kind of the perspective that I take to it is like, can we find the truth? Is the truth knowable? And But always balancing that with making an impact. And that's why some of these things I'm about are actually in tension with one another because I want to make an impact and I want to do what's right for the business always first, but I also want to pursue the truth as a secondary construct. I, I think it's super apt for uh, people analytics, particularly like if you read like Hume from the 19, uh, probably 1700s, he'll say things like uh, the, the, the truth is never knowable because like everything changes on a dime. Like you, you're always looking in the past, which we, we've already kind of covered here a bit. Uh, but I, I recently read uh, Hubbard's book, How to Measure Anything. Have you ever read this? Ever heard of it? No? Um, no, I haven't. He uh, essentially says that uh, this is a problem, like leaders just like making snap judgments or saying like, well, we could never know these sort of aspects. But through a series of uh, short questions, you can start whittling down at least get a good estimate on what it might be and his whole bit is around uh risk and confidence intervals so uh say like if uh the amazon servers went down you know unfortunate cyber attack or you know just someone spilled coffee on the console or something like that and they went down how long would they be down and you know engine might be like I have no idea. I have no idea what it was like. Okay, well, like, let's like really test this. Like, how long is it usually down? Is it like down for like 10 years? Like, no. Is it down for one year? No. Is it down for uh, an hour? 
eh, usually a little bit longer an hour. Okay. And you start like getting these like little like confidence intervals of like how long it would actually be down. And you can do the same thing for, uh, you know, driving distance to the office or like how many executives we need to hire in the next five years or, you know, kind of anything applied to people analytics. And I think it's a great way to think about things. Yeah, it seems like you're making a really strong case for using Bayesian priors in making decisions <laughs> yes. and like a naive Bayes model being like one of the utmost ways of making quick um, judgments. So I like it. I'm on board. Sign are you a Bayesian up. guy? Are you, are you deep into Bayes? Theory? Um, well, I would say no, but I have, again, to my point about my passions and experimentation with things. Yeah. At one organization, this is actually kind of an interesting story. <clears throat> so in an organization I used to work for, I did a, a, a test uh, of a basis model using our engagement survey. Okay. And so, so you, um, yeah, what does that look like? What, well, so let me, let me kind of set the scene here for a second. So the, the organization was doing engagement surveys every six months, right? Okay. And so they had a consistent measure over time, right? And if you think about like Bayes model, your prior would just be the previous engagement score, right? And so what I was hoping to do was to predict the next engagement score before it came out um, and just using kind of a, a, a small Bayesian correction. And so I took the prior score and then I went and polled 12 different HR people and just asked them, knowing the last engagement score, which I believe at the time was like 77 or something like that, knowing yeah. the last engagement score, what do you think next engage the en engagement score that's going to come out in a few weeks, what do you think it will be? And, and so I just asked them. And then what I did is I aggregated all those scores and did a posterior correction to them based on those scores. And lo and behold, it was it the 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 because they everybody predicted mostly that the score was going to go up because like the company had seen some really positive results in the last few right. months. I got within two tenths of a percentage point from the exact engagement score using that method. So it was a pretty cool and fun experiment to do in the workplace. That is a super cool uh, experiment. I've always found it's easier to predict scores after they've come out. It's just you know <laughs> that's a. Uh, that's a that's a, also another way of doing it, Scott. Um, more <laughs> frowned upon and less experimental, more, but more frowned upon. But effective I, 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 I nonetheless. Think, I, that is like the essence of people analytics, like deriving uh, predictions before they're actually there, right? Uh, in, in this case, uh, which HRBPs or leaders or whomever had a perspective, but you could actually apply it quantitatively and like pin down uh a pretty dang exact answer well the funny thing that i did with that is i i told a uh, this is kind of the funny part which i would never actually have done in real life but i said now we can just stop doing the engagement survey every six yeah. months and we can we can just pull 12 hr people and now we'll know what engagement will be i mean yeah i mean like why, why even use 12 just use one the best one and you can yeah, you well, just that, get the it answer. Was a, it was a mixture of crowdsourcing and uh, Bayesian statistics, but well, I, the, I think uh, this is this is also like a great example of like why qualitative analyses are important. You know, we we, we yeah. can tell quantitatively certain things, but people are receptive to aspects that just don't show up in the data. Absolutely, and I think uh, just as a quick teaser, we've got some stuff coming out potentially in the next few weeks about. Some of the benefits of qualitative work and maybe we have we'll have a guest on in the future to talk about that as well so that that should be exciting no that's, that's gonna be great
I think this is probably a good stopping point, Scott. Yeah, um, I agree. So you, yeah, for sure. So you've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Cole Napper and Scott Hines. Thanks for joining us today, everybody.